Turn, if you will, please, in your Bible to John chapter 17. <coughs> John chapter 17. I've entitled this, Just As He Is. You know, Jesus came from a situation in heaven to where he was at the right hand of God in those days. He was a part of God. He was the first creation of God. And it's an interesting thing back in that situation when they were all in heaven together. You couldn't see either one of them. They were all spirits. Jesus took on the flesh when he came to minister to us to do what God had sent him to do to make a way for us to come to God. And it's my understanding that he still wears that flesh. He's the only one of the triune God, the only one of the three that you could walk up and touch or shake hands with because he's still got that mortal human body. And I thought it would be the thing to do to show how he came and what he thought of what he had done and what his response was to his father because he never was out of whack with his father. So I got an idea that we'll get truth and everything that we've talked about this year in preparing us to be children of God, we will learn how he dealt with that. Because this whole thing's different. Jesus was different. And we've got to be different. We've got to be very careful about trying to fit in with everybody around us. And we'll see that through some of these scriptures too. But John chapter 17 was the prayer that Jesus prayed back to his father right before he was crucified. It was the last earthly prayer, one of those that he made. And it, it kind of covers everything he tried to do. And we'll look at a part of it. In John chapter 17 and verse 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. In other words, I've done my ministry. I was in heaven with you. 33 years ago, you had me go into the womb as a baby of Mary. I was born as a human and I started this ministry when I was 30 years old because no Jew could be a priest until they were at least 30. So he did it just like the rule said. And now I've been ministering for you to your people for three years and now it's over. I'm fixing to be done with. So glorify thy son that thy son also might glorify thee. Everything 
that they're about is glorifying the Father, God the Father. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. It's, an, it's neat to me the way the process works once you get in and start slowing down and really looking at the words and what they're saying. God gave us to Jesus. And in Jesus, got us saved and kept us saved, he said. And this is life eternal. This is what you gave them, Father, through me, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That was the motive of Jesus coming down here, that you and I might know God and might know that Jesus was his son. He says in verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I've made several sermons out of that. I picked up on that in those days when I was teaching Sunday school class because Jesus did exactly what God sent him to do. And he said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. Well, it's an interesting thing if you back up and look at it. That's what we can all say to God. I have glorified thee on earth because I've done what you gave me to do, what you sent me to do. And I've got a big circle around me there because God didn't send us all to do the same thing. And we don't get glory from doing somebody else's mission. We get glory for doing ours. And we live in peace and comfort and in blessing by doing those things that God sent us to do, not what he sent everybody else to do. And I think it's important that each one of us finds that path that God has designed for us. <clears throat> And now, O Father, glorify thou me, Jesus said in verse 5, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So Jesus wants to get back where he was before he was assigned to the planet Earth. I want to be back with you in heaven like I was before. Now there's something interesting here and a lot of things have been, I've, I guess I've got a peculiar interest in it. This thing about what has got to happen to us to live in heaven and what has got to happen to a person like Jesus to live on earth. Because those two, those two things are not the same thing and they won't work the same way. A fellow by the name of Schaefer who is way more, so smarter than me I have to study some of his paragraphs, study them three or four, read them three or four or five times to even figure out what the man's saying. But he has said before that to him, this process of leaving the earth and going to heaven is like stepping over a crack in the sidewalk. You take a breath down here, 
your heart stops beating, the next breath you take is in front of God. That's how quick it happens. And he said, there's no, there's no place that you wait or whatever. That's not it. To be absent from the body, for your spirit to leave your body, that is death. And it was an interesting thing. That's the reason Jesus was on the cross three days, or was dead three days, because until you are dead three days, a Jew does not consider you dead. You've got to be dead three days for them to pronounce you dead. I guess because people have been in comas, they couldn't lick their finger and put it in front of their nose and feel any air coming through it, and they assumed that somebody was dead, and then in a couple of days, he walked, got up and walked out of, out of the room. But you had to be dead three days. All of this stuff is, is, is not just something that happened. It's all very much a plan. So this will be satisfied and that will be satisfied and everybody will be taken care of based on their beliefs. He says in verse 14 of chapter 17, speaking of us, I have given them, that's us, thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. That should explain to some people why Jesus and God leave sin in the world. You see, if you had attractions for a girl down the street, and she's real pretty, and you'd like her, you'd like to have her for your wife, so you go and kidnap her and chain her to the bedpost, ain't much love in that, is it? If you don't choose to give your life, your love to somebody else, that's the only way it can be of any advantage. And God left us a choice. You can be tempted away from doing what God wants you to do, and you can make bad choices and fail to do what God wants you to do, but your love for Him and your salvation is still a choice. And God leaves the other side down here so you can make that choice. <clears throat> he just prayed in his last prayer that for those people that he knew would be saved, because see, at the time Jesus died, I don't believe there was such a, a thing as very many people being born again. I know the disciples weren't. Every one of them I know weren't. His brothers and, and, and all weren't. His mother didn't understand what was going on. And the church did not come to fruition, did not even start to exist until 50 days later when Peter preached the sermon at Pentecost. So at that point, there wasn't really any Christians until Peter preached at Pentecost. I don't believe Peter was saved 
at this time right here. But he became in the next few days. But Jesus prayed that what he assumed, I think, was this. We have, we have established the gospel. I've told them where there's going to be a church and they're going to be part of it. And when they do, they're going to have trouble. They're going to need prayer. And Father, he tells his Father, what I want you to do is don't take them out of the world. Leave them there where all that stuff is, but just keep them from the evil one and give them strength that they can outlive the temptations that they have to live through. And that's kind of been what it is. People don't often equate these two words, but Christianity is a struggle. We start finding out that God wants us to be different than we are. And then we start trying to change ourselves to be that person that God wants us to be. And it's somewhat, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, you, salvation is free. You get it. Sanctification is what comes hard. It's trying to be what God wants you to be. As you do it, as some of you know, it gets to be easier and easier and easier. But those first few years as a Christian, whatever your age might be, it's kind of hard to do the things that, as you learn them that God wants you to do. In Hebrews chapter 4.15, it says in there that Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus, he was baptized to start his ministry in the River Jordan. As soon as he came up out of the River Jordan, the Holy Spirit grabbed him and took him into the wilderness. And while he's out there, after 40 days, Satan comes to him and tempts him with the whole world. I'll give you the whole world if you'll just bow down and worship me. <coughs> Jesus came through with fine colors. He said no. And he taught us how to do the same thing to, to Satan. Just say no. So you see, whenever we first think we believe, and maybe you remember, I do, that I wondered if I was doing what God wanted me to do because I didn't know how to live like a Christian. Well, I saw people around me, but so many of them didn't live like I thought a Christian ought to live. I mean, on Sunday they're nice, you know, they act real nice on Sunday, but then you try to do business with them, you can't do business with them. They put on a show. And so it took me a while to get confidence in knowing that I was born again and that I did have the Holy Spirit in me, and I needed to be doing what God had sent me to do. And Jesus felt the need of being exactly like us in order that he could present God to us as a priest. He thought he had to know exactly how we felt. And for the exception of the old sin nature, he was just like us. I believe that. I don't believe he did miracles until he was baptized. 
In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, In all things it behooves Jesus to be like his brethren, to be like us. In all things he wanted to be just like you and me. Now think about it for a moment now. He had had the highest rank you can have below God in heaven all those early years. He created everything. God said he did that. And then he lost it all. He left it all to come down here and be just like us. That's an amazing thing. So he had to take on, it said he took on mortality. In other words, he started out a God that you couldn't see, became a human and that, that couldn't die, and became a human that could die because he did die. And with all the problems and all that humans have, and now he's saying, will you take me back from this world and put me back where I was and let me have what I'm supposed to have and glorify me for what I've done for you, God. And the first thing God did was to give him authority over everything in heaven and in earth because he had done his job down here and had never disappointed God one time. So he had to change his body so it could operate within the world's structure down here and with, with God's laws, with the, with the world's laws down here, which were entirely different than those in heaven. We down here are bound by time and space and that's, they, have to, they don't have to take thought of any of that. If you remember in John 20 and verse 17, when Mary Magdalene, you know, was at the tomb, and Jesus had already risen. He's out of the tomb. His tomb clothes were laying there folded up. They had seen those. And Mary was trying to find him. And she saw a person she thought was, was the gardener and asked him, what have they done with my master? And Jesus said, Mary. And she recognized him from his voice and called him Master. And he said in that conversation, because I don't know, you know, women are the huggers in the bunch. I don't know, it could have been something like that. I don't know. But he said, don't touch me because I have not ascended to my Father yet. Now, I don't understand everything about this, but here is a man who was changed from a God to a man with men's limitations, who had died like men die, and he was in a kind of a weird state there because he's not dead. He's not acting like he's dead, but he has died. And so there must have been some reason that he had to get back to God before he could get, get his glorified body, which glorified bodies are like the angels' bodies, 
and like the Holy Spirit's bodies, if you will, they're equipped to live in heaven and earth also. And the glorified body that he was asking for is a body that's not like ours. Looks like us. We'll look like him one day, but he looks like us, but he can go through a wall, or he can fly, or he can say, I want to be over here 30 miles down the road, and he's there. That's what it changed Jesus to. But in that period of time, how much ever it was between the time he was brought back to life and the time that he went back to the Father, to be glorified and have his body put in a glorified state. He found himself where nobody was supposed to touch him. Later, in Luke chapter 24, you remember when he walked with the two men on the Emmaus Road? And it says all of a sudden he was there walking with them and they talked scriptures all the way down the road talking about Jesus being dead. They didn't recognize him. And they walked all afternoon with him. And when they got to Emmaus, they asked him in for supper. Wouldn't you come and eat supper with us? They were talking about how glorious it was for him to bring all those scriptures out and explain them to to them. And it says when they got in the house to eat, they recognized who it was. And as soon as they recognized Jesus. He disappeared. He vanished, Scripture says. Glorified bodies can do that. I can't. You can't. That is a thing that had to be changed from one body, one being, to another in order to be equipped to live like the new plan calls for. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 36 and 37, as the disciples were in a group talking after Jesus' death, Jesus just appeared right in the middle of it. <laughs> just appeared right in the middle of it. And said, Peace be still. <laughs> Here's a bunch of guys talking. They still don't understand all this stuff yet. And they're standing there talking like average men will do. And all of a sudden, Jesus is standing right in the middle of it. And you can imagine they must have <laughs> fell back or something. And Jesus said, peace be still now. And what he's saying is, y'all be easy now. Everything's okay. And it said the disciples, his disciples, after he was resurrected, were terrified. They were scared to death of him. After walking, leaving all their stuff and walking with him all this time, now they're scared to death of him. It said they were terrified as if they had seen a spirit. They didn't even know exactly who he was. But people with glorified bodies can make their bodies just like Mary didn't recognize him at the tomb just like his own disciples didn't recognize him here and all of a sudden he's there and it scared them and they thought it was something else. I don't understand all that. I don't know how it works. If I'd been walking with a guy three years, I'd think I'd know if he showed up. 
but it, got to, it, it goes to show you how some people believe and how hard they are sometimes to get knocked out of what they believe. People with a glorified body like Jesus was given by God can vanish, appear, and walk through walls and fly. They can change their shape or look like other people. And that was what Jesus' glorified body was coming out to be. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, First Corinthians chapter 15 <clears throat> and verse 49 and Paul here is talking in his letter to the church at Corinth he's telling the Corinthians and as we have borne the image of the earthly in other words we look like people who other people who live on earth. We have had that image. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, we, you and I look like people who live down here on the earth. But one day we're going to look like those people who are walking around heaven. I'll just tell you, honestly, me losing my brother last week. All these thoughts have been in my mind about what he looks like now and what he's doing right now and how he feels right now. Now this I say, verse 50, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Without a spiritual life, you will not go to heaven. Without Jesus, you won't go to heaven. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. In corruption is rottenness. And it, it cannot inherit incorruption, which is pureness. So what he's saying here to them, Paul is, that you can't get to heaven like you are because you're corrupt. You have got to become incorrupt. How do you become incorrupt? You really don't ever do that. What you do to become incorrupt is to accept the salvation of Jesus Christ and then he calls you incorrupt. At the time we, each one of us were saved, we became a righteous person. I've had people ask me, well, the, the prayers, effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Who's a righteous man? Anybody who's a Christian. It's not about how you live. For the fact is, when you accepted Jesus Christ, God made you a righteous man. So then everybody who is a Christian, their prayers mean stuff. They get things done. He says in verse 51, Behold, I show you a, a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Everybody is not going to die. 
Some people are going to go to heaven before it's their time to die. But the point he's trying to make is everybody's got to change to get to heaven. Everybody. You can't go like you are. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised in incorruptible or righteous, and we shall be changed. <clears throat> I've got written, I meant to transfer it over into this Bible. Sometime in the past with my other Bible that I'd had for 30 years, I went and looked up to see how long a twinkling of the eye lasted. And it's like one thousandth of a second. That's how much time it's going to take for you from the last heartbeat here on this earth to get to be in heaven. It's a, a, a microcosm or a micro something or other of a second. Face to face with Jesus. And I see that. Him going to sleep in that hospital bed up there and when he woke up, he's standing face to face with Jesus. That's something. That's something. So that has something to do with what has got to be done to get us to where we're ready to go to heaven. So all this changing that I've been talking about, the things that people can do then that they couldn't do now, that they can do in heaven that they couldn't do on earth, it's all in that one thousandth of a second. It's what it changes. That's how quick it takes us to change. We don't grow into it. It's quicker than we can snap our finger. If you will, please turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. There's something else said here. When you start studying about all the things that happened to Jesus, for him to be born down here and be all that we are, and then the fact that he had to change again to go back to what he was in heaven. But I believe today he's sitting in, in the throne at the right hand of God and he's sitting there like you or I will sit there. You can see him. You can touch him. You can shake his hand. But in 1 John chapter 3 in verse 2 Well, I'll tell you what, let's start at verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, verse 2, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. 
Now, what is he? I don't know. I know he's in human form. He has a body, a fleshly body. But you know, I went back and studied when James and Peter and John saw him on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. It is said that his clothes sparkled. That they were so white that they sparkled. Well, he looked like that. When he appeared to his disciples, men he knew for three years. And they didn't recognize him, thought they'd seen a spirit or something. And they were terrified, they were scared to death. I don't believe it's going to be like that when I get transported in, faith, in front of him and look at him dead on. He's not going to be a lamb. He was that down here. He's going to be like he was before he came down here. And there's so much said about him in, in Daniel and, and, and Revelation about how magnificent he is. It, it probably just going to take our breath like you wouldn't believe. But then the thing that's so hard to believe, it's hard to believe what he's going to be. But the harder thing to believe is that we're going to be just like him. Whatever he is, we're going to be just like him. We'll have glorified bodies. I don't know how we'll be dressed. I don't know exactly what we'll look like. The scriptures say that, that, I mean, people talk about, well, I'm just, if I can just get to heaven and see my husband. But we're not going to be husbands and wives up there. We're going to be like the angels. There won't be a gender. There won't be an attraction between people. I think the attraction in heaven will probably be between us and Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that we'll care about. But for us to be just like him there, that's too hard for me to grasp. I can't figure it out. He became like us so we could become like him. He did a pretty good job of being us. And I wonder what kind of job we're going to be being him. It's going to change everything we even think about. For the last several days, I've all this stuff has just been rolling in my mind, little bits and pieces coming back and forth and wondering how things are. It created a real curiosity in me to know just exactly what it's going to be. Now here's the thing. How much of us down here is like that? How much? How many are going to look just like Jesus? 
So let me say this. Uh, heaven is not bound by time. Earth is. Earth is the one that has the times and the seasons. Heaven doesn't. But be as it is, we have to live by the seasons and the times, and it's time almost for a new year to start. And 21 has been pretty troublesome for some folks. Most of us had no idea that it wouldn't end with the same people it started out with. But a lot of folks have been lost this year. And our lives have been changed because of it. There's a lot of people suffered. And our lives have been changed because of it. Now he said in this world ye shall have tribulation. Okay, we know that. I preached it enough from up here. But take cheer, he said, for I've overcome the world. So the only way to get ahead of this place out here we're trying to live is to do it with Jesus. You can stay ahead of it like that. But you've got to make it real. you really got to be what you say you are in order for God to change your situation to where you can live a blessed life. As you see changes, you stand fast to what you've been taught. You know what you've been taught. You know what you've got confidence in. Just like, just like Paul told Timothy. Recognize what is Satan's and deny it. How good are you at that? Can you recognize what comes along disguised as something else that Satan's behind the temptations that you have? No matter what is offered, if you ask God, if it sounds like the best offer in the world, if you ask God and he says, don't touch it, you say no. Don't be a part of it. It'll look pretty. All the Satan stuff always does. But don't take a hold of it. Don't carry it in your house and set it down. Don't park it in your yard if God says, leave it alone. It's a cursed thing. Deuteronomy calls it. And they say if it once becomes your cursed thing, it will bring you a cursed life. And if it does, the only way you can get rid of it is to burn it. It's an interesting way of dealing with things, but you can't trade it in. You can't give it away. You've got to destroy it. And there are a lot of things out there that we deal with on a daily basis that are cursed things. I have seen very, very deeply spiritual people with so much fear on their face you wouldn't imagine when they realize that something is a cursed thing, that Satan has cursed it for us, that it might attempt to destroy. And I'm convinced that there are a lot of people that are having 
a lot worse times than they, they really need to be simply because they didn't recognize the cursed things and chose to be a part of it. Very few pastors talk about stuff like that anymore. It says it scares their people. It shouldn't, shouldn't scare any of us. Not if we know who Jesus is. So this year, as we're looking forward to being, what, and, and, and if you do make resolutions, make a resolution that God will allow you to recognize those things that Satan is offering you and that you might say no to keep it out of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the encouragement of the scripture. <clears throat> the bad choices have always been bad news. But Lord, I thank you for explaining in some detail about what's going to happen to us and how it's going to be with us and how quickly after our spirit leaves our body here, it's going to be with Jesus Christ standing right in front of him. And I thank you for that. Lord, teach us to put our things in proper perspective that we might have the right priorities and that we might see you in everything. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.